What's up, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here on another episode of Kickin' Back, special edition, looking at the Olympics. And we are heading into the medal rounds after an interesting semifinal round on Monday. And the gold medal match is booked. It's maybe not what was expected before the tournament, but certainly can't say uh, an unfair matchup. Certainly one of those teams uh, is clear, clearly far and away the best of the bunch so far at this Olympics it's going to be Sweden versus Canada for the gold medal late Friday night Eastern U.S. time, Friday morning in Japan. And the United States women's national team will be playing for bronze against Australia Thursday at 4 a.m. Eastern. A lot to break down, a lot to get to, and we'll get to looking forward to those games. But first, looking at these semifinals here, and of course the big one, especially for our U.S. audience, the U.S. women's national team losing to Canada 1-0. First time Canada has beaten the United States in 20 full years, actually 20 years and change, 2001 March in the Algarve Cup, and only the fourth win in 62 all-time meetings between the U.S. and Canada. The fourth win for Canada comes at a very bad time if you're the U.S. and obviously a very good time if you are Canada. A lot to break down here. You know, look, high-level thoughts at the beginning. This is, I think, a bit of a paradox in that I think the result in a vacuum in that game is probably not deserved for the U.S. Uh, probably feels unjust, especially with how it went down. A penalty kick to Canada late in the match on a play that looked like a whole lot of nothing in real time. Went to video review. VAR determined it was a penalty kick. And in slow-mo replay, uh, you can see why, uh, but certainly felt harsh. Um, not an excuse, though, I think, and we'll break down why uh, this game went the way it did and, and where the U.S. failed in that and how Canada was actually very good defensively. But um, that's that was the undoing. But look, not a, not a good tournament for the U.S. There is still a bronze medal to play for on Thursday, and obviously that'll be something they're hoping to take home against Australia. But the match itself... Um, you look at that, you know, maybe you say that's undeserved based on the penalty kick called on Tierna Davidson, uh, taking out the legs of Deanne Rose. But in a in a wider view, this has been a pretty poor Olympics from the U.S., and it's hard to put a finger on why. It, certainly what's being said publicly by players is it's hard to put a finger on why. And uh, I've, I've seen many of theories out there uh, already, and, and unfortunately I've had some some of the uh, right-wing extreme stuff somehow retweeted into my timeline, which is, is really kind of ridiculous stuff. But um, this is a team that we expect a lot from, and we just never got it in this Olympics. There was obviously the opener against Sweden that just an absolute butt-kicking, as we've talked about on several pods now. The game against New Zealand, to follow that up, is the ends up being the only outright victory of this Olympics for the U.S. First time the U.S. has lost two games in the Olympics, and um, that's the, the game against New Zealand, the only win on, on the score sheet for the U.S., a 2-2 draw with the Netherlands in the quarterfinal advance on PKs. That's officially goes down as a draw. Obviously, they advance, but um, you know, then you get the Australia game, which was kind of a throwaway game, both teams kind of playing conservatively for the draw, and we'll, we'll see what the bronze medal rematch looks like. I don't think it'll look like that. But you get the Netherlands game where the U.S. looked very good for a half and then a lot of changes and, and not for the better for the U.S., but they kind of hold on there, listen there, come out with a penalty kick save 
in the final minutes of regulation and then twice in the shootout to get the U.S. through. And then comes this Canada game where the U.S. is always favored against Canada uh, for a reason 20 years since the last time Canada beat the U.S. until today, Monday, August 2nd, 2021, at, at the highest of stages. And, you know, Canada came into this game relatively solid. I, I think in the group stage, it's shown some vulnerabilities in closing out matches, which I think is the biggest thing you can say about this game is they saw it through for 90 minutes and closed it out. They didn't score early enough to close it out throughout the entire match. I think that's probably probably looks like a very different match if Canada scores early and the U.S. is looking for one for the better of 90 minutes. That's probably a much different match than we saw play out. But Canada gets one late, 15 minutes to play. Jesse Fleming from the PK spot after that VAR-determined penalty kick uh, called on Tierna Davidson, starting in place of Abby Dahlkemper, who did not make the 18. That was a discussion here on this pod and on EqualizerSoccer.com and, and in many places after the quarterfinals. What do you do about the Davidson-Dahlkemper decision? Blacko Anonofsky goes with Tierna Davidson alongside Becky Sauerbrunn at center back. No Abby Dahlkemper in the 18. We'll see what the bronze medal match looks like. But um, unfortunately, nobody asked Ananovsky about that post-game, and uh, there's only so much that can be done virtually on on the end for some of us. So um, didn't get a lot of clarity, but, I mean, I think it seems pretty obvious that I think we're probably – there was no mention of roster rotation at all for, for any circumstances around this game from Andonovsky. So I think it's pretty clear that that was a decision based on form to go with Davidson. But uh, Davidson with the foul in the end, that leads to the PK. Um, and and a big, big storyline. I think so much sort of happened at the end there and, and the kind of wider picture narratives that it's easy to get lost in the fact or lose the sight of the fact that Alyssa Nair, starting goalkeeper for the U.S., number one for several years now, goes down with injury. 20 minutes into this, hyperextends her, looks to hyperextend her knee. We don't have an official diagnosis, but the replay looked very concerning. Um, and then tries to stay in for a few minutes, takes a goal kick immediately, motions to the bench. And Adriana Franch comes into the match in the 30th minute. So, you know, right there, you're saying, okay, backup goalkeeper is in. You know, what uh, if you're Canada, you probably want to test her. And they never really did. I mean, that's the thing. I need to credit Paul Carr, the longtime statistical magician here from from this tweet. Expected goals for the match, 1.52 for the U.S., 0.96 for Canada, and sorry, 0.95 for Canada. And if you take away the penalty kick, which was a 0.79 expected goal, Canada's expected goals for this match 0.16, that is negligibly zero, and it really speaks to what they did offensively. The U.S. didn't do much offensively, but they did control most of the match in the middle of third and then kind of got settled for hopeful crosses, shots from distance outside the 18, and and really never found a way to break down that Canadian defense, not just the back four, but in the midfield as well. Another struggling day for for the U.S. midfield. Uh, the Canadian diamond really did well against that trio uh, of the U.S. of Lavelle, Haran, and Ertz. But 0.16 expected goals for Canada. Bev Priestman put this team out there. You know, I don't want to sort of cliche use the low block term because it wasn't even that low of a block. There was actually pressure relatively high up the field, particularly in that first half where 
they were disrupting the U.S. midfield in the middle third. So it wasn't as if Canada completely dropped off, but it was very sound and disciplined defensively. Yes, the U.S. had some opportunities, especially in the first 20 minutes, Kelly O'Hara getting up the right side around Alicia Chapman, and you thought maybe, okay, there's a a potential opportunity. It looked like the decision to start Lynn Williams as a way to, to negate Ashley Lawrence on the other side worked out, at least from the perspective of Lawrence never really got forward. But that also, I think, accounted for the idea that Lawrence was trying to get forward, and we never saw that initiative from Canada. It was always looking for something on the counter, and it was always extremely disciplined defensively, defensive-minded first, and we didn't even, I mean, U.S. didn't have a shot on goal till the 65th minute, so it wasn't exactly amazing the other way, but, you know, tripled up on the number of shots, um, and, and again, 0.16 expected goals. I'm, I don't love to throw those numbers around. I think they always need context, but the context here is that's really what this game looked like for Canada. Uh, sat in, you know, did not necessarily take any risks or adventures going forward, and then really a play from nothing. I mean, again, I hate using a phrase like this, but a lofted ball over the top to nobody. It's bouncing. It looks like it might bounce out of bounds for a corner kick, or sorry, a goal kick, and um, it slows down a little bit. Deanne Rose comes and puts pressure on the ball. Tierna Davidson realizes that, feels that on her back, and goes to clear it out of the box, or out of bounds, and Deanne Rose has kind of smartly thrown her body in front of that sweeping leg, and uh, Tierna Davidson's left leg kind of undercuts to a degree. It really didn't look obvious live again, but undercuts Deanne Rose, and it's a penalty kick. And that's all that that's all that Canada needed. That's all they that's all they planned for. It wasn't explicitly said post game. Um, and it's not to take anything away from Canada. That is executing a very good plan. Uh, if you are Canada, if you are Bev Priestman, you're very happy. But uh, from the U.S. perspective. Yes, I think frustrating. Have to be frustrated with it. There's a there's there are some similarities here to the quarterfinal in 2016 when the U.S. could not break down Sweden and had a lot of trouble and could not find the creativity and could not see it in the final third. And we saw a lot of that again here against Canada. So that's kind of an old demon there uh, that that really you thought was solved. It, it looked like it was solved under Jill Ellis. It looked like it was solved under Vleko Nanovsky. And this was, you know, I think. Playing for bronze is probably a, a just sort of position for the U.S. the way that they have played. Again, it's not been a great tournament from the U.S. By their own standards, it's been poor. By the by, the very high and almost unrealistic standards, by an objective world standard of a top world team, it's been an average tournament. And it's been an average tournament for most all of the individuals. And that's collectively come to a sum of just kind of a disjointed performance. And, and I know there's going to be a lot of where should the blame go. Um, you know, look, Megan Rapino post-game, particularly Megan Rapino. I think we heard this from, from a few, but um, was very quick to point out that the players need to shoulder the responsibility and look at themselves. Uh, I've written this a couple times already, and, and you should subscribe to EqualizerSoccer.com. We've got a lot of analysis on there. But, um, you know, Vlako Nanovsky was asked – post game to to try to analyze what went wrong in this tournament and in this game and he answered the question and then before a follow-up could come in Megan Rapino grabbed the mic well she had her own mic but interjected voluntarily came to bat for Ananovsky and said you know this is on the players we just haven't performed well I'm not sure why 
is is her general thought, but it's not good enough from us, period. And, you know, that is, uh, there will be a lot of people, and I've seen it plenty already, that will look and say, Ananovsky, five games, five different lineups. And I'm sure we're going to see six for six because I don't think Alyssa Nair is playing in this bronze medal game at the very minimum. Um, you know, five games, five different lineups, rotation, all these different things. Look, a lot of criticism. I'm sure there's plenty of things to nitpick. I said this last time, that the idea that we know more than him, one, just from a coaching perspective, two, from the idea of, you know, seeing 90 minutes of soccer every few days versus a 24-7 environment where he's seeing training sessions, everything else, um, confidence levels, even things you can't see unless you're in a hotel in a team environment. You know, I really don't put this on him, one, because he made necessary changes. He made the Davidson swap for Dahl Kemper, which he didn't have to do. He could have said, Abby Dahl Kemper is an all-world world back, all-world center back. She's going to come around. I'm going to stick with her. He started Lynn Williams. You know, I think there is an argument for Kristen Press needing more time in this tournament. Should have had more time in this tournament. But, you know, rotating Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, um, you know, Sam Mewis dropped for the semifinal, came in off the bench at least. Rose Lavelle previously in the quarterfinal. He made necessary changes. Some of that to save legs. Some of that, I'm sure, based on form and how things were going. Because despite making the changes and, you know, he got nothing out of, he got no response from and really nothing out of players that he needed to try to make a change for and, and inject it into these games. So um, it's not as if he kind of stubbornly stuck to a roster or starting 11 and said, this is it, it'll work. I'm I'm not worried. I mean, he made these changes that a lot of people on looking said need to be made. So, you know, then I guess you'd go to a level of, well, was this the right roster to pick for this tournament? You know, look, yes, it, it was. And I think it really does come down to, um, you know, one on that level, none of these problems were foreshadowed, right? I mean, even rewind a month and you've got the U.S. playing that one-touch football for that goal against Mexico that didn't actually count but was probably the prettiest goal you'll see in a long time um, just as an indication of how they were playing and what they were doing. And, you know, two even a month ago, again, you don't come into this tournament thinking you have any reason to be worried about how's Abby Dahlkemper playing? Well, she's been an all-world center back. Uh, am I going to get production out of Alex Morgan? Well, she's been on fire for Orlando and, and the U.S. in the spring into summer. You know, what's going to happen to my midfield trio, whichever of those four I use in those three spots in any given day? Well, they've been dominant for so long, even the Netherlands game, if you want to argue and quibble about quality of opponents, that Netherlands game in November, that is the friendly, U.S. looked very good coming back off the pandemic uh, against the Netherlands. So, you know, th there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of that, that talk. I, I don't buy into it. I do agree with Rapino, especially if she's volunteering this, that this is on the players that they were missing something. And, you know, I think you look toward the future after this bronze medal game, which if you're the U.S., you're looking for that bronze, obviously. And you say, look, you've got two years to rebuild for the 2023 World Cup. Who do you want doing it? What does it look like? I think all those questions still point back to Vlako Nanovsky, extremely familiar with the NWSL, its players, very good at talent development and identification. So, you know, maybe there are some 
micro lessons to be learned on the sort of in-tournament management that, that get used and built off of for 2023. But, you know, absolutely still um, I, I struggle to even entertain this idea because one, we're still in the middle of a tournament. Two, I just think it's it's a, a real stretch and reach to go straight to something like that. But more so raise it to try to put it to bed, at least from my perspective. Um, you got to take these two years and, you know, much like Jill Ellis had to do after the 2016 Olympic failure in the quarterfinal, take these two years to just play with things, identify talent, find what's going to work in 2023, and take the full two years instead of three this time to run with it and make it work and have it ready for 2023 to win a third straight World Cup. That that has to be your view if you're U.S. soccer. I think that has to be Vlako Anonofsky leading that charge with full support of, of Kate Markgraf. And yeah, it's going to be with some tough conversations. I, I mean, this is a very old roster. It, you know, some players I would imagine will retire. Some players probably will not. And there will be some hard decisions come 2023 or in between now and then. But um, U.S., you know, I'm, I'm speaking kind of past tense here as if the tournament's over. It obviously is not. There's a bronze medal game. But, you know, tough tournament for the U.S., not not their best at a collective level by any means, and I think that being a, really an indictment of a lot of individual performances. So um, onto the bronze medal game against Australia, Canada onto the gold medal match against Sweden, where, you know, if you're Canada, I think you look at what has worked, and it has been that defensive discipline. Nil-nil draw with Brazil in the quarterfinal. You advance on penalty kicks. 1-0 win over the U.S. in the semifinal. Same deal of, uh, well, similar deal of really tight defensive discipline. Not necessarily a ton going forward, but you have the the necessary talent and players to strike on a counterattack if need be. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's probably more of the same for Canada against Sweden. We'll see how they match up. We'll, we'll talk about Sweden and Australia after this quick break. And uh, we'll see how they match up and, and preview a little bit more of the gold medal final, gold medal match. All right, everybody, Jeff Kasuf back here on Kicking Back. Thanks for listening, as always. Podcast brought to you by The Equalizer. We're on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, so check us out. Subscribe, rate, review, helps us, and you don't want to miss a thing uh, with what we are bringing you with these special podcasts during the Olympics. And we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming of weekly guests from the women's soccer world on this pod. And, of course, check out The Equalizer Podcast, which is our weekly roundtable analysis discussion of NWSL, U.S. Women's National Team Olympics, and the wider world of women's soccer. So just talked about U.S.-Canada, and now we are going to talk about the other semifinal, Australia versus Sweden. Sweden prevails 1-0 in this game. Fridolina Rolfo with the goal seconds after halftime, after the second half kickoff. A uh, little bit of a bizarre goal. It's been a bizarre Olympics to a degree for, for many teams. Uh, in many games, but uh, 1-0 result for Sweden holds up with that goal from Rolfo. Uh, really should have had a second as as Australia got stretched and pushed for an equalizer, and um, Stina Blaxinius actually missed, um, I don't want to call it a sitter because it was kind of behind her, but basically an empty net to, to seal this in stoppage time, but um, Australia headed to the bronze medal game and Sweden against the U.S., and then Sweden will play for gold against Canada on Friday morning local, 10 p.m. Thursday night in the east coast of the U.S. So a little bit of a funky Thursday if you're trying to watch both games. USA-Australia is at 4 a.m. Thursday, 
That's 4 a.m. Thursday and then 10 p.m. Thursday, so later that night. And if you wake up at that hour way later for a very long day, better get a nap in, is the gold medal match. 10 p.m. Thursday, running into Friday morning here in the U.S. And um, that's 11 a.m. local time kickoff in Japan. But looking at this Sweden-Australia game, Australia actually controlled the majority of the possession, which I think is a surprising stat in a vacuum. But Sweden prevails 1-0 and... You look at this tournament for Sweden, far and away the best team in the Olympics so far. The only consistent team, really. This was probably, this was maybe their least consistent, certainly least dominant performance. First time they didn't win a game by multiple goals in this game. But five for five in this Olympics, five games, five victories, two of those against Australia now. And uh, really the only team that's been able to do that. I mean, even Canada, as I said, I think kind of had to build its way into this Olympics and and has not been probably the, the you know the second most consistent team so you know maybe a fitting gold medal match here but a lot of teams including Australia who they played today relatively inconsistent in in how they've played and and maybe even a better way to put it relatively unconvincing um, some of them inconsistent a lot of them unconvincing and Australia in this game um, had their opportunities Alana Kennedy with a free kick. Um, that that slightly tested Hedvig Lindahl. I, I'm not sure that mm-hmm. it was, uh, you know, a spectacular save by any means or a spectacular free kick even, but, you know, probably a highlight for Australia. And then um, Sam Kerr looked to have scored in this game. And honestly, the replay that I've seen, which, you know, admittedly doing 100 things at once on this day of, of uh, working to get you all content and analysis, but the replays that I've seen, there's a foul called on Kerr. She's not offside. It's on a free kick. Um, not that that negates it, but she was well behind the line on this free kick. And it looked like um, there was a call for a foul at the top of the box before the kick was even taken, it looked like. So hard to see exactly what she did there, but uh, a would-be goal, potential goal, um, was was not to be for Australia. So, you know, Australia pushes late for an equalizer that, and, you know, Really unfortunate at the end for for them. Um, Ellie Carpenter will not be playing in the bronze medal match because the literally the last play of the game is her receiving a red card for bringing down uh, for a dog so opportunity denial of a goal scoring opportunity um, as Sweden hit the break, hit on the break and tried to double the lead. Which you know I I don't know we are not these players in the moment in in a millisecond that they have to decide what to do on something in a game under high stakes, obviously, high pressure, high tension, uh, high emotion. But, you know, you look at this, Australia already a team that's not that deep. They're playing in this three-five-two system where Carpenter is like the one speed element of that back three to kind of account for some deficiencies. And they're not, a, you know, they're not that deep of a team. And she gets sent off on the last play of a game. You know, again, this is maybe not how an athlete's mind is working, but unfortunately, a game that they were losing, right? It was past the five minutes allotted of stoppage time, and Sweden's running down the other end to either score a second or kill the clock. I mean, the game is over, signaled by the fact that this was the last play of the game. Um, 35 seconds passed, so five minutes, five, five minutes, 35 seconds into five minutes of second half stoppage time, and uh, Carpenter pulls down Lena Hurtig, and she knows it. She walks right off. And, you know, maybe it's frustration, maybe it's emotion, but, you know, now Australia was still a bronze medal to play for, looking for their first medal in the Olympics, looking for their first, this will be their best finish no matter what in a, in a major international tournament. And 
it's just not a smart decision, and it leaves Australia um, leaves Australia shorthanded for the bronze medal match. So, uh, don't want to perseverate on that, though. You know, not not the entirety of this game, obviously, just a, a final kind of um, final kind of moment there for Australia. But Sweden, again, I'm going to plug it because if you're listening to this but you're not subscribing EqualizerSoccer.com, you're missing out on exponentially more content, including. Um, we have Sophie Lawson, who is our, our resident expert in just about everything. I guarantee you she watches more soccer than any of us, certainly more obscure soccer, but um, is, is an expert on so many of these teams that, you know, we and even I only get to see a, a lot less frequently and um, a really good piece on there. Uh, check out that out on equalizersoccer.com if you subscribe and uh, a piece on the evolution of Sweden, which was once this hyper-defensive team, really disciplined, almost played boring soccer, but always got them to that final four of major tournaments, whether even, you know, Euros or otherwise, Euros, Olympics, World Cup. And under Peter Gerhardsen over the past four years or so, they have developed into actually a pretty free-flowing, creative, attacking, entertaining team, which we've seen at this Olympics, the U.S., fell victim to that in the opener. Um, and we've seen that from, from Sweden. So it's a really interesting evolution for Sweden. It's very, uh, as Sophie writes, it's, it's very, uh, not Swedish, um, you know, in the terms of what you think of as traditional Swedish football, Swedish women's national team football. So, you know, really creative stuff from them, really rather dominant in this Olympics. And, um, we'll see if it ends in a, a gold medal this time, uh, an upgrade to a gold medal this time for Sweden at this Olympics. So uh, 1-0 over Australia in this one. Fridolina Rolfo with the goal. She's been spectacular for for Sweden. Looking forward to seeing more of her with Barcelona. And, you know, a lot of talent, a lot of talent on this Swedish team. You know, we know the names like Kosovar Aslani, who, again, Peter Gerhardsen has gotten more out of, I think, you know, there was a point in time here not terribly long ago where, um, and maybe you could even argue in, in some of this Gerhardsen era that, you know, Aslani was really underperforming, underwhelming, and, and she has really been thriving at this Olympics and recently. Um, Carolyn Sager, obviously, their, their all-time Caps winner and uh, their, their sort of captain for life, it feels like, you know, still going strong in that midfield. I mentioned Lena Hurtig, who's been... Very good, somewhat off the bench, mostly off the bench. Stina Blackstinius, Sophia Jacobson, a lot of really good attacking talent, even even like a Hannah Glass coming out of the fullback position. It's been a good collective, very good collective effort from Sweden. So looking forward to this gold medal match. Hopefully we get a good match. I think we've had some some rough matches. I mean, we had some snoozers. We definitely had some wild ones in the group stage. And it feels like maybe everybody got those goals out of their system in those record-setting uh, group stage matches, and and um, you know the Netherlands setting records, Vivian Miedema setting records, even Barbara Banda for Zambia back-to-back hat tricks. You know we saw all these goals, and then um, they dried up a little bit in the knockout stage. Which one? That's knockout football. The competition gets better, the stakes get higher. People get teams typically get a little bit more cautious, pragmatic, um, tighten things up. So that accounts for some of it. I also think we do need to acknowledge here 
we're coming out of a pandemic. This, you know, I think this, I've seen this kind of applied to the U.S. argument. This is not unique to the U.S. This is every team. And I think this explains why teams are playing like they are, why there is inconsistency uh, among many teams, or there has been among many teams in this tournament. And look, there's heavy legs, which is the Olympics are always a terrible schedule. I think it's it's a stupid schedule. I've seen people argue for them to go to 16 teams. That's fine. That'd be great. I'd love to see more teams in the Olympics, but it doesn't solve the issue of the scheduling problem because the Olympics themselves are not going to get any longer. They're scheduled for 20-something, 30 almost, well, they've expanded 30-some events now. Um, those are why they're scheduled in the window that they are. Soccer is just one of those. So this is not a World Cup where you go and say, hey, FIFA, what are you doing? Sort this out. Let's Let's sort out the timelines for the World Cup. This is FIFA kind of operating a soccer tournament within Olympic boundaries, and those boundaries include a barely two weeks window to to have these games. So um, expanding to 16, fine, that's great. I would rather see a way to mitigate this this issue of player safety uh, problems, which is, you know, especially in Japan and the Tokyo Heat. Um, you know, LA, I don't know. I mean, it might be a little better. We'll see. It, it doesn't necessarily, you don't know. I mean, you, you have no idea what the weather's going to be years down the line. But, um, you know, I would rather see, I don't know if this solves it. I don't love the idea, but I, I mean, I have floated this out there um, on Twitter and, and during these Olympics. Like, look, if you're stuck at 12, if you're stuck in this schedule, then why not go to three, four groups of three? You only play two group games then. Group winners go straight to the semifinals and you start playing for medals. You eliminate a group game and you eliminate a knockout stage game and suddenly you have much more rest days. Now look, that means you only have, you play four games to win a gold medal or a medal period. I mean, that's not amazing. It doesn't feel like a, a very robust or comprehensive tournament. This doesn't feel like a comprehensive tournament anyway, but at least it doesn't totally sacrifice players' safety and legs and everything else. Um, I'm not saying it's a perfect solution. I wouldn't hate it as a solution if if you are confined to both the calendar and 12 teams at the Olympics. So maybe that is one. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe somehow the soccer tournament gets clearance to start a full week before the opening ceremony or something like that, and you can build in a few more rest days. But um, I don't see that happening, and I don't see a great solution to this. So all that to say, part of this is inconsistencies, um, rough performances. Doesn't explain everything. Certainly doesn't explain the U.S. talent that they have and the rotation they had going, underperforming, things like that. But it does inform us a little bit when teams, we're talking about Canada, set up a little bit defensively, when they look a little bit maybe like in Australia, inconsistent, when they maybe hit a slight wall, even though they are very good and the clear favorites at this stage, like Sweden. So I think it helps inform some things a little bit. It's a, it's an argument you can make in any tournament that legs get tired. But in the Olympics, in this Olympics, after a pandemic, you know, the mental, the physical toll, uh, I think is is a factor here for, for every team. So hopefully we get a good, good, a good gold medal match, uh, Sweden against Canada. If we get that hyper-defensive play from, from Canada, we'll see if Sweden can unlock it in a better way than the U.S. did, or I should say could not, and Brazil could not either. So we'll see what Sweden can do against that, certainly as the attacking talent, and we've seen that on display at this Olympics. And then the U.S., 
in a bronze medal match, 4 a.m. Thursday against Australia. These two teams played that nil-nil snoozer, which uh, they kind of felt like they were playing for a nil-nil game in that group stage finale. And they are back in a rematch in the bronze medal final, bronze medal match, I should say. And Australia without Ellie Carpenter, U.S. probably without Alyssa Nair with that injury. Taking a guess here, haven't seen the official update yet, probably won't get one till at least tomorrow since it's uh, overnight already at this point in in Japan. But um, the way things looked, she was on crutches after the game, you know. So there will be some absences and could be some more roster rotation for both teams. So we'll see. Uh, we'll be back to recap that on tricky timing this time. I guess we will uh, we'll figure out the timing on that, actually, for the, the final sort of special Olympics edition of Kicking Back because we've got a, a 4 a.m. game Thursday and then the 10 p.m. gold medal game. So uh, we'll see how we uh, space that out. Maybe we'll even separate those. We'll keep you posted. Keep an eye on the feeds. That's why you got to subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. And it'll just pop up right in your feed. You won't have to miss it. So I'm Jeff Kasuf, your host. Thanks for listening to Kicking Back. And we will be back soon to wrap up these Olympic Games from Tokyo.